0: Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. Today, I have an exciting live episode with you with a phenomenal, phenomenal guest. But before we get into it, I would love if you are tuning in right now live on all the channels to make sure that we're actually connected to all the channels. Let us know where you're tuning in from, whether it be Seattle, Oakland, the UK. Please let us know in the comments and we'll shout you out as we start the episode. So today I am joined by Trish DeZico, who co-founded TAF in 1996 after spending 17 years in the tech industry, specifically with a company you all have probably heard of before, Microsoft. Through Trish's leadership, TAF transitioned from out-of-school programs to become a statewide leader in public education, operating TAF Academy, a sixth the 12th grade award-winning public school co-managed with the Federal Way Public School District, partnering with public schools to transform them to promote the highest level of student learning and increasing the number of teachers of color through the Martinez Fellowship. Trish is a committed proactive leader serving on boards of organizations that focus on children and education. And today, what I'm really excited to talk with her about is just that, the future of education the future of learning, and some of Taft's amazing work in this area. And we're really going to dive deep on her background and the amazing leader that she is. So without further ado, I'm excited to bring on Trish into the show. Hey, Trish. Hi, how's it going? It's going good. How
1: are you doing? Um, you know, we're doing all right. There's a lot <laughs> going on, right? Yeah. Um, but I think I have no complaints. Um, yeah. And I'm just excited to be here.
0: Yeah. You know, with, with with the state of the world, you know, how have you been hanging in there? And, you know, what are your, some of your thoughts on things going on right now?
1: Well, you know, I've been on a number of calls, number of conversations about, specifically about um, police brutality and racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's draining. It, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 63 in July, and I never thought that I would relive this again. Um, Yeah, it's it's hard. But um, at the end of the day, what I have to look at is I have a certain level of privilege and I'm safe. My children are safe. Um, And I I hesitate to even think about complaining because I know there are people who have it a lot worse. And those are the people that I'm most focused on right now.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. and I think, you know, right now we're we're living in revolutionary times is what I've been telling people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've been really advocating about on LinkedIn and with the friends that I've been on calls with is this is the time to lead. You know, if you have an idea of how to build a better future, if you got something to build, this is the time for us to do yeah. it. Um, because I, I do feel a shift happening. But I would love, Trish, for you to talk about the movement that you've been building in TAF mm-hmm. and a little bit about your background and what inspired TAF.
1: yeah. So I actually um, started out with a computer science degree. I graduated in 1979 from Monmouth University in New Jersey, a short clip from where I grew up, and uh, sort of made my way through the country um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my career. So I was in Philadelphia, Tucson, San Francisco, and in 1985 made my way up to Seattle. Um, and then stayed in the tech field in a variety of roles. But no matter where I was, um, I was always the only or one of a very small handful of uh, African-Americans and sometimes just people of color all together um, in the development side of things. So um, as technology started to become more important um, for business and then college and next thing, high schools are getting it, I noticed that kids of color were not uh, having access. So Mm. while I was at Microsoft. um, I changed my career, which was a big step going from the tech side to human resources, um, the diversity space and um, and ended up running the high school internship program, which still is happening today. And what I did was put a focus on technical internships and potential. Because at that point, you know, no, hardly anybody in high school was even thinking yeah. about programming or anything like that. So um, through that work, what I realized is that there is a whole lot of untapped talent out there and they're never going to be found um, unless they make it to college, because that's yeah. where companies were recruiting from. And even then, they're not often chosen for these kind of roles. So um, took a what I would call a minimal risk because I knew if uh, leaving to start TAF didn't work, I could always come back to the industry. But um, I I gave four months notice uh, because I wanted to see my last group of high schoolers come through and then um, took a month off and then hit the ground running and we opened TAF.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so oh, you you kind of saw this opportunity way ahead of its time, I think early on when people were just realizing, wait, computing is gonna change the way we create, the way, you know, the next generation works. You know, for you, was there a moment in time when you realized, okay, I have to start building something while working with a company like Microsoft to make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, especially in communities where people of color are disadvantaged naturally, that we provide them access and more importantly, the community, because TAP does a great job of doing that as well.
1: Yeah. I don't, I would say there's not, wasn't a particular moment of time. There's a number no. of things that rolled up. Um, if there was a defining moment, it was when um, Jill um, brought, uh, she's a co-founder um, and my spouse, um, when she brought a group of high uh, uh, middle school students from uh, Seattle Public Schools over to the campus where I had some high schoolers who were doing work. And she, um, we brought them over on the shuttle to to get to the conference room where my students were and um, all the way over, they were loud, they were rowdy. And <laughs> then I get them in front of our students and they just sit there like completely quiet. These students were testing the Cassiopeia at the time yeah. of the technology, <laughs> then, right? Um, but that was an aha moment there that they saw kids that were just a couple years older than them doing this kind of work. But then on the um, shuttle back, they kept talking about, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a computer. Mm. Scientist. So just that one moment, it's like they need exposure at a minimum. But exposure is not enough. So we need to mm. teach them to be creators and inventors of technology, not mm. just. Um, users of tech, because, you know, at some point we all end up using technology, but we don't necessarily create content or create the uh, technology itself.
0: Yeah, no. And that's such a powerful point, Trish. And I think one of the things that even for me early on in my in my career and when I was when I was a kid as well, is like, I never really had that mentor. So I was a user of technology. But i didn't know how to be an engineer or how do you be how do you even do product management and i think mm-hmm. one of the really interesting things about you know task model is that you guys involve them in the practical application of building the tech and especially in community of colors where you know the the exposure is there i actually don't think we no longer have an exposure problem we more so have a pathway problem In terms of guiding them into Mm -hmm. these positions where they can actually lead and be in leadership roles and actually be crafting, being entrepreneurial. You know, I want you to talk to a little bit about how you see us as leaders being able to transform the education system.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, look, I'll say when TAF started, we started in the out of school space and quickly realized that we really didn't have a whole lot of control over the kids' education. And um, although our students were doing amazing work in their internships at local companies, they weren't able to get into their tech classes um, because they didn't have the right high school classes. So we had this aha moment that said, okay, can we run a school and can we run a public school? So we spent a couple of years researching and and, um, getting out there and talking to folks who were in education reform, built a plan and, you know, started working with Federal Way Public Schools to launch this school. And the whole idea behind it is that we're not trying to change the curriculum, because the curriculum mm-hmm. is actually set by the state and by the school district is basically what you learn. What we wanted to do is change how you learn and who you learned from. So that you're not learning just from your teachers, you're also learning from industry people. Um, Our public school system asks teachers to do the impossible, which is educate students for a future they have no clue about, Um, (laughs) right? So not even industries today, but even industries um, that we don't know about today. We're asking teachers to get kids ready for this, but teachers don't have exposure to it. So we wanted to make sure that not only students, but also teachers had exposure and that We uh, engaged in experiential learning. So Mm. we are we started the school in 2008. We now have six other schools that have joined um, the movement. And I will say this in in order for us to transform education, each school has to decide what is their philosophy? Do they believe in every kid? Do they believe in some kids? Right. Do they believe that everybody needs to be on the same page? And what page is that? And then secondly, they have to look at the culture of the school. Like what when you think about public school, we don't think about culture of the school. We think, oh, let's look at the test scores. Let's look at the neighborhood. Okay, we can move into this neighborhood and we'll go to this school. School is this thing you have to go to. So there's no pressure for them to be anything other than, you know, school. So yeah. getting that culture, um, it, establishing the high expectations and support for everybody. Um, and then the third thing is the pedagogy. How are you going to teach? You know, again, mm. not changing the curriculum, but how are you going to deliver on that curriculum It's laid out for you. Can you teach in a way where you get student voice and choice, and then also a chance for students to be leaders? Um, the other piece is around diversity of staff. of the teaching staff across the nation is white, and most of those um, are females. Now, that's not to say that white people can't teach kids of color, but when you think about the content coupled Mm. with who's teaching, right? And we have content that's Eurocentric, you have to change both of those things. You have to change who's in front of the classroom, over time and and immediately have to start changing the content so the students see themselves represented. And finally, expanding learning beyond the community. Like I talked about earlier, having having, uh, other professionals come into the classroom or having our students go out into the community and learn in different ways. But all of this, the most important Mm. thing about all of this is making learning relevant for kids.
0: Amen. Right? <laughs> right? right, and actually so, contextual, right? <laughs> yeah, it's
1: essential, and so that means talking about things they care about, not what some textbook made out of Texas decides they should care about. That means going out and giving them an opportunity for hands-on learning and experiential learning. Um, all these things are doable, but you also need support from the state. Right, the state yeah. needs to think about heavily, think about getting rid of standardized tests. Because those standardized tests, what they do is they determine the future of every single kid that takes those tests starting from third grade, and that makes no sense whatsoever. There are ways Uh-oh. that kids could demonstrate their learning. We've done it before. You know there are standards that you have to have as a student. Um, there are different ways that you can meet their st- those standards. But what we as a nation have basically said: there's only one way you can demonstrate that by taking this, Um, so the other thing to think of um, um, what does experiential do to student background um, there's a whole lot more ways that you can learn um, or you can assess, that teachers can assess the work that you're doing and doing it over time. If you um, also limit the class size or the the teacher responsibility, um, you can get a lot more mileage out of it. So right now, our um, middle and high school teachers, and I think this is true across the nation, end up um, having... Uh, 120 to 180 students a year and you can't build relationships with kids like that you can't uh-huh. learn about your students when you have that many students to worry about so all these things need to happen at the state level to support the work as well as investing money in uh, professional development building a clearinghouse for curricular ideas and content and then, um, and of course, in this day and time, money, money, so that every kid has access to technology. So not necessarily providing the technology itself, but providing the Wi-Fis and the hotspots.
0: You know, I want you to, you know, because you, you you just presented like this very holistic view. I think a lot of people often don't think about when it comes to education. Mm-hmm. And I want to show love to Hanin who's tuning in and watching right now and listening to us. She says kids need teachers that they can relate to and teachers that look like them. What are your thoughts on that, Trish? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, that's why we were happy to, number one, partner with the Martinez Fellowship when it was uh, started by the Martinez Foundation and um by Edgar and Holly Martinez and then when they asked us to take over the program because they were closing the foundation we were ecstatic because for us that was the missing piece of the puzzle that's under the umbrella of tap right we were doing everything except for determining who's in front of the classroom with the students so um now we have a complete picture It's, it's absolutely important that kids see have someone who not only looks like them, but comes from similar background that can relate to them, that's not gonna pass judgment on them based off of um, where they come from, who can understand Mm -hmm. the curricular content that is being presented and offer alternatives so that kids can relate. Um, I would say that most people of color I know didn't even have any more than one or two uh, teachers of color um of course depending on where you live but for the most part yeah. um you know folks didn't they didn't have teachers of color and and they yeah. really realize now what they missed out on
0: you know i i remember the um the, the first teacher of color there was two teachers of color when i was in le- elementary that i remember that Actually, really transformed my life, and it was when I was living in the hood of Houston, Texas, Southwest A-Leaf, Texas. It was one of the roughest parts of Houston, and their name was Mrs. Hunter and Allison, and they transformed their life, my life, because it was the first, the first two female uh, women of color teachers that you know. Every time I walked in the classroom, there was always empathy shown, and more mm-hmm. importantly, I think their approach to learning was that every child mattered right? It wasn't yeah. just one. Like, it didn't matter where you were coming from. It didn't matter the color of your skin, you know, or, or what you had or didn't have, is you matter because you have intellect. And, you know, I still remember them, remember them to this day because they were that transformative, and, you know, they they actually welcomed family in the classroom. And I mm-hmm. think thought about learning from this perspective of it's a holistic thing and it it goes far beyond the classroom. And I think what's so powerful about what you're saying too, is that I think we fail to realize just how important role modeling is when it comes to learning Um, and and experiential learning too, as Mm -hmm. as you mentioned.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and when you think about um, teachers of color, (coughs) they they tend to um, treat the students of color, <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> as if they're their own yeah yeah you know, and you don't get that from um, teachers who can't connect with you right mm. it's very important I think the other piece is around that connection to who's in the community so the closer teachers live to the school you know the more they live in the community it's almost like police and politicians right? Like, it doesn't really make sense if you are governing from two districts over. (laughs) Right? So, it also doesn't make sense that you teach from two towns over because you're not living with those kids. You're not understanding. And I remember back in the day, I come from a small town. Back in the day, all of our teachers lived; most of them lived in our town, if not mm-hmm. one town over. And you will see them because we all have one place to go shopping and all that stuff. Um, but when, when you live in cities and you have teachers that live in the suburbs and they come in and teach in the city, there's a huge disconnect there. And uh, we need to be able to fix that. And part of that is making the city life affordable to live in, You know, particularly mm-hmm. here in Seattle. Teachers can't even live in the city um, because they can't afford they can't afford to. So therefore they're living outside of the city and they are teaching kids that they really have no
0: connection to. Them. Yeah. And I mean, I remember living in Seattle is expensive. Yes, it <laughs> is.
1: It's very expensive. Even apartments, right? <laughs> right. You know, my daughter just graduated Seattle U and we're talking about okay, where when you get your job, where are you gonna live? Yeah. Not living in Seattle unless
0: she's getting three three roommates. It's not that good. Especially Especially with the salary I mean you're, that you know states yeah. offer teachers. It's 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 not feasible at all. No at all. It's not, it's not. So, I want to show love to Hanin once again. And Olubi, who's tuning in from Dallas, Texas, please let us know where you're tuning and watching from. We will show you some love. And if you have any questions for Trish as we continue to talk, please add them in the comments. So, Hanin is saying, My son is a kindergarten teacher this year. Is it my son is in kindergarten this year? His teacher is a person of color female. We are so grateful for experience with her this year. She is one of the only teachers in the schools that isn't afraid to bring up race and culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trish, yeah. what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's really important, particularly in, in today's time, to talk about race and culture. Because you have kids mm-hmm. coming from different backgrounds and their family has, have instilled things in them that may or may not be inclusive. And it's yeah. important for us to train our kids, I think, number one, to be anti-racist. Um, Mm. And that's a personal thing, right? So when you think about they're coming from home, their family may not want them to be anti-racist. They may not want them to think about race at all, regardless of what their race is. And then you come into school and we're happy as a system to just brush over it. You know, we don't want to cause any controversy. And then we worry and wonder what happened along the way when the kids, you know, turn out to be very ignorant of other cultures or antagonistic around other cultures. You know, we didn't do our job in the public system. So we have a lot of discourse and it's not like this, okay, today we're going to talk about race. It's it's really yeah. around, you know, if you're studying a particular period in time, it makes sense to really think about what were all of the different cultures in that period of time living in this country. Mm-hmm. And how were they impacted by this particular event that happened in that period of time? So then it becomes this organic conversation, not this, oh, okay, we need to talk about race today thing. And then you get, Uh kids like really talking and really expressing what their views are based off of how they were brought up. Then there's a chance for them to actually organically see you know, how that lands on their classmates, how it lands on the teacher, and that kind of gives them a clue as to where they stand in this. And I I think it's really important to not um, shut kids down when they say something that may be inappropriate, but to use that as a lesson um, for a better way to say it, or who got impacted the way, you know, uh, based off of what you said but we don't teach teachers to do that. We teach them as a system mm. to shut that kind of stuff down because we don't want to get in trouble with the parents. And that's the kind of stuff that needs to stop. We need to change completely completely how we're uh, teaching and let it be student led and student voice and student choice. And that's how you get a chance to shape minds and, and direct them into a place where they are really contributing to the community overall, not just the school community, but the community they live in. And
0: it's such an inclusive and collectivist view, right? And and I think one of the things that is so missing in education today is that you don't have student buy-in. There is no participatory engagement. And the way we try to even, like, Push it is very forced. It's almost as if like you're forcing them to um, operate within this very rigid structure of education. And you know uh, what? Uh, and I think the the fundamentally moving forward when I think about education is like you you we cannot we cannot continue to kind of create this model where we're not allowing students or any learner, adult mm-hmm. or student to lead their learning, right? Too much is changing too fast. And the more that we give them this kind of design thinking approach like, how do I construct it? And how do I, how do I find my perspective mm-hmm. in all mm-hmm. of this information, the yeah. better and more informed of a society we become. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you
1: an example. Our first year of TAF Academy, um, we had a young teacher, um, who uh, we were his first teaching gig. So I had a lot of hope for him because uh, our model is quite a bit different and uh, learning it as your first model coming out of college is the Mm -hmm. best way to really grab onto it. Well, he was teaching humanities and they were uh, seventh grade uh, talking about slavery, uh, which Mm -hmm. is part of the state curriculum. And he had the map of uh, the United States up. And um, one of the students, who turned, turned out to be a great leader for the school. Um, he asked a very simple question. He said, if slavery were here today, what states would be for it and what states would be against it? Mm. That's amazing for a seventh grader and a white guy at that. You mm. know what the teacher said? What, what did he, what? he said, off topic, next. Wow. Instead of taking advantage of that opportunity and asking everybody else, well, what do you think? Turn to your table partner. Right. And talk yeah. about that. And then popcorn out. Right? Instead of doing something like that, for him to just shut it down, needless to say, he did not uh, come back. He wasn't invited back. But yeah, because he didn't he refused to learn that we really need to hear student voice. It's not about you've got this checklist of things that you want to get through for the day, and now you're going to power through it no matter what. It's about listening to students. It's about getting them to talk more, and you will eventually get to the purpose of the lesson. It just won't be the way you wanted it to be.
0: It's about facilitation, facilitating the learning.
1: Right, exactly right and yeah. then letting kids get up and lead that's the other thing one of the things we do is we have kids uh, prepare lessons it helps mm. them appreciate teachers number one it also helps them um, understand all the planning and everything that's behind conveying knowledge which reinforces their knowledge and now they're teaching their peers
0: mm.
1: right that's another thing that we do and it's um it's really effective for them because it changes who they are in the classroom immediately. It changes their views on what it means to be an expert or a leader at something. And then that's the moment that they begin to take off and they see their value.
0: Yeah. So I want to show love to Roger, who says, I evaluated TAF at Fedway Senior Students Year End Projects. I thought I was observing master thesis arguments. Background, he has a master's in teaching and recently accepted a position at Washington Middle School, which which, which recently partnered with TAF. Project-based learning is based on relevance. I'm a teacher of color from the Fest Reservation, but born and raised here in the Pacific Northwest. So that's kudos Mm -hmm. to Trish and and the TAP team's work in really helping uh, students Mm -hmm. understand how to think for themselves. So shout out to you all for that. You You know, uh, who are some of the other people that you all are partnering with in Seattle, Trish? Um,
1: So uh, actually... um Washington Middle School is the only school that we're doing our work in in Seattle. Um, But uh, through that, um, Seattle University has a program where they come in and do work with students. They also work with some of the feeder schools into Washington Middle School. Um, When we were in Seattle um, and running our after school programs, we had a lot of partnerships with a lot of different companies and other uh, organizations. Uh, The Casey Family Foundation, which had a big foster care population. We did some work with them. Um, We also um, have, um, besides our TAF Academy, which is now TAF at Sahali in Federal Way, we are at Brigadoon and Olympic View, which are the two feeder elementary schools into our school. So now we have a full, what we call our first uh, STEM region. The K through twelve, um, running our model, our STEM by TAF model. Uh, we have Bose Elementary in Tacoma, and then recently added Roosevelt Elementary in Tacoma as well. And then this coming year, we're um, we're going to be working with Beverly Park Elementary in the Highline School District, which is actually where our office is. Is in the oh, Highline so. School District. Yeah. So our goal is to add three schools every year to our portfolio of schools, of transformation schools. And um, we set this goal when we turned 20 years old. We also set the goal of bringing in 2,400 uh, teachers of color into Washington state. And we do that work um, through the Martinez Fellowship and um, partnerships with 10 universities, um, both public and private. And so we'll have to increase our partnerships there. to make sure we meet that goal. And then overall, what we really want is that our stand by TAF model becomes a model of choice for our state. Mm-hmm. So that, that means that we're along the models of um, Montessori and Waldorf and all those uh, high scope, all those things that have been out there for, for decades, that stand by TAF is in that list um, for schools to choose
0: from. That's powerful. So Anine is saying, "Sounds like a great org to give money to, folks."
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. We don't. We so, can't
1: do this without uh, partnerships from our, our uh, family and friends and donors and volunteers. Um, you know, we uh, yeah, we we have over two thousand students uh, coming this this school year between all of our schools, and um, our main focus is really preparing these teachers to work with the kids. So um, as we add more schools, I need more coaches. Um, We also support students with out-of-school time programs. So yes, donations are absolutely welcome. You can go to techaccess.org and the donate button is right up there. (laughs)
0: I love it. Shout out to Anine for that big shout out. So, you know, to continue our conversation, Trish, you know, what do you think black people can do? And I think anyone that has a child in the education system right now to pay more attention to what is going on in public education.
1: Yeah, you know, we as a society, as a whole, regardless of where you come from, have been conditioned to just trust the public education system. And Mm. the system itself is broken. And it's, you know, we've, as Black people specifically, we've been conditioned to believe that the teacher is the expert and our um, input is not necessarily wanted because of the ideas that people have in their head about who we are as a people. So I think some of the important things to do is if you're a parent, um, I would say, if you are a Black parent, so this is my, my information for Black families. If you are a parent, try to pull together a small parent group of uh, folks in your children's schools and learn about what's going on in your actual school. Then work your way up to what's going on in the district and then work your way up to what's going on in the state. So you have an Mm. idea of what your kids are actually learning, because I see these things on Facebook all the time where somebody takes a picture of an assignment their kid got that assignment, you know, and it's usually something about slavery or something, you know, really inappropriate and offensive, but though you find out that assignment has been given for years. And why <laughs> is it that somebody, you know, what took that one parent to notice what was going on? So like really mm-hmm. understanding what your kids assignments are, it doesn't mean you have to understand the work itself, but to understand what's being asked of them. Um connect to Black educators in your community. We have, we're have everywhere. So connect with those educators and um, maybe form some informal learning group um, to help your mm. kids when they're out of school. Um, over the summer, we have a, a lot of challenges with um, lack of stimulation over the summer for some of our families. Um, so being able to do that and then um, having conversations, the most important thing, having conversations with your kids about what they're learning for the day. So I have four children and I used to ask, how was school? Well, okay, you're not gonna get a good answer there. But if you 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 have like a driving question, that's that's something like, okay, what is the most important thing you learned today in school Mm -hmm. and what class was it? Or, you know, it doesn't even have to be a class. It could be an incident that happened, right? Or you can ask, um, I know you were having some challenges in the math. Does it feel better to you right now? Can you show me? So there's lots of different ways to get your kid to talk about school, but that gives you an idea where you need to add um, levels of support for them, either directly at the school itself or through the community if you pull together some community resources.
0: Mm, Powerful. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Thank you so much, yeah. Trish, because I I think what's so powerful about this framework that you're providing people and, and parents is that it works. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. works with, with, with the, the with task model. And more importantly, something that people can duplicate. It's not, you know, do your research, be informed and understand that you have to, to a degree, you know, have oversight on what is your child learning? And is there an opportunity to, to give them more initiative, to allow yeah. them to have more control, and to to create an actual community within your within your high school, your neighborhood, mm-hmm. where it doesn't feel as if like it's it's um it's a one size fits all thing, but we're actually, we're actually thinking about it from a learner student centric point of view.
1: Yeah, I mean, giving our kids the opportunity to learn everywhere at home in the community makes a lot of sense, right? So when you're, you know, teaching your kids something, if you're teaching a kid how to cook, there's some math lessons in there. There's some science, (laughs) (laughs) right? Right? You can learn them together. It doesn't mean that you have to know everything. What you're doing is you're demonstrating for your child a a different way to learn, that you're not the vessel of all information. You don't have all the knowledge, but this is how you approach learning because they will watch what you do they will mimic what you do, not necessarily just what you say. So working mm. together with your kids and learning together is a great vehicle um, for helping your kid have some independence around learning.
0: I love it. Before we cap off, Trish, what's the vision for Tech tech Access? What's next? What are, what are some of the things that you guys have in, in the pipeline?
1: Well, you know, besides the, the goals of opening schools and bringing teachers of color in, what we're also doing is creating a coaching model for uh, instructional coaches, and we want to be able to um, teach any teacher who has at least five years experience to be able to teach them how to be instructional coaches in a way that really pushes their the teachers that they're coaching to be more um, open to student input and all that. Typically, um, instructional coaches are really focused on pushing the district agenda, whatever that is, um, for specific, <laughs> subjects, right? And it, you know, every district has their own agenda, but our model is more around how are you teaching teachers to be uh, more fluid with students and giving students uh, voice and choice and going out and finding those volunteers to come into the classroom and finding those uh, that curricular content, all the, the six elements that I've mentioned around how to create a great school, right? So getting the teachers involved with that requires some really focused professional development. So we're developing that model now. It's the model we use to coach the teachers who are already in our um, network. And now we want to take it beyond that because we believe that we need better um, instructional coaches in our school system. Um, I would say the other thing we're doing is focusing on teacher leadership and Mm. really helping uh, teachers of color who want to be principals, assistant principals, deans, superintendents, um, really getting them on that path. And in order to be on that path, you really need to stay in the public system for a while, which is really hard for teachers of color because we're so marginalized and there's so few of us in our individual schools. So we're really pulling them together. Um, We have a program, the Network for Edward that has a leadership component. So that's new for us. Um, We're gonna push that through and that coupled with the Martinez Fellowship will really be able to impact um, the demographics of the adults in public education in all of the schools that we work with.
0: So you all are pushing all fronts.
1: (laughs) We are, you you can't, here's the thing that's interesting. I have these conversations (laughs) with funders a lot. You know, I wanna see you do one thing. Well, who's doing the rest? right? If you show me yeah. who's doing all the rest and doing it with the same kids, then I'm good for it. But I yeah. don't see anybody doing all the rest. And you can't do one little thing for our kids and assume that everything else is just going to fall in place. It, it is a whole um, ecosystem. And we're mm. building the ecosystem of education that works for all kids. So that means we have to impact the, the teaching. We have to impact the learning, all of that. Yeah. Right. So that's what we're set on. That's what we're hell bent on. And and we're not changing our focus. I
0: love it. I love it. Trish, where can people find out more about tech access and be a part of the movement?
1: Um, So you can first visit our website, techaccess.org. And uh, there's a plethora of information there and there's opportunities there for you to donate, to volunteer if you are a senior level in a company or you want your company to be involved with TAP, check out the partnership tab. Um, we have a variety of ways that corporations can get involved with our work. In fact, we encourage corporations to get involved with our work because you are the beneficiary of our work. Either we're producing <laughs> your future employees or your future competitors. We're certainly producing visionaries for whatever, you know world the kids want to create. So it really behooves corporations to to pony up and um, partner with us uh, so that we together can create this pathway for students um, to make sure that they're able to um, show generational change and rise above um, all the expectations that other people have of them.
0: Definitely. And I've shared the link to techaccess.org with you all on all my channels. So make sure you check it out. And Trish, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guy podcast. You know, what is your big takeaway for our amazing community? What is one thing that you want to leave them with?
1: Well, I will say this our children are brilliant, every Mm. single one of them, they all have their own genius. And our job, our job as adults is to make sure we help them discover that genius, develop that genius, and become the whole citizens that they have the potential to be. That's our job. Let's get out there and do it for every single kid.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. Let's unleash their billions. And I I say that as someone that realize that later in life but wish uh, there was someone that told me that same thing trish it was an honor having you on we gotta have you on a a future episode
1: (laughs) thank you thank you congratulations to you for god i spent a little time on your site checking you out a little more I like you, Trish. It's good. good. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Trish. Thank you, Trish. We're coming. We're coming. I appreciate you. All right. Hopefully, we'll have you on for a future episode. Thank you so much for all the wisdom and wealth of information that you've shared with us. Please make sure to check out techaccess.org and reach out to Trish on the website as well as on her LinkedIn if you're interested in working with her. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye, Trish. (laughs) With that said, thank y'all so much for tuning in. On today's Monday's episode of Unleashing the Future of Work live, a guide podcast. If you're interested in being on a future episode, check us out at utfow.com. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone, that would be a wonderful guest to talk about the future of work, education, more importantly, what's going on in the world right now, right? The transformation that we're seeing. Please check it out. Check us out at utfow.com. Also, if you're interested in being a potential early beta access creator for our early beta program, check us out at guideapp.co to be a part of our early access program and get an exclusive first look at Guide, the life-changing, transformative bite size skills training platform, changing the workforce. So check us out at guideapp.co. With that said, thank y'all so much for tuning in. I wish you all health and continue to build and lead your movement today. With love, peace, love, and talk to you soon.